0: Hello and welcome to this episode of Radio Free HPC. This is where we talk about supercomputing, high-performance computing, and other technology topics. I'm Dan Olds, joined as always by my co-host Henry Newman from Seagate Government Solutions and Shaheen Khan from X. Now let's get to the show. Hello and welcome to another edition, another scintillating edition, we hope, of Radio Free HPC. I'm Dan Olds, as always, and as always, joined by the full crew, we have Jessica Lanham out there. Say hey, Jessica. Hey. It's nicely done. <laughs> uh, Henry Newman in the heartland, where Jessica is, and Shaheen Khan on the coast. How's everybody doing?
1: Dano, you skillfully avoided the silence that we usually treat you with in the
2: beginning.
0: I did.
1: That
2: was nicely done. Yes.
3: Yeah. That we always end up taking Our fifth out. fifth co-host, silence.
2: And I also didn't get to put how many days I've left in Minnesota as part of this.
3: Or snowblower facts. Yeah, snowblower facts. <laughs> we missed that.
2: <laughs> so.
3: All right. Well, we have the lull now.
0: <laughs> okay. We did have a lull. That's good. That's good. I'm just glad that we- Always, that always happens. So our discussion today is disease. Specifically, what is the coronavirus going to do to impact HPC, or will it have any impact at all? Thoughts?
1: I'll go first. Okay. So you could say that predicting these diseases would benefit from supercomputing applications, and that should be a topic of emphasis, just like it is with hurricanes and such, because predicting those is becoming quite a habit as well. On the other hand, the economic impact is reducing supplies all over the world, and I think it's going to have a ripple effect on the computing industry as, if it extends, it's going to start showing up because material isn't being produced. So those are opposing forces.
0: Good point. Good point. Something that I agree with. I don't think there's going to be a long-lasting impact of this. I have faith that we're going to be coming up with a um, vaccine fairly soon. And I also think that, hey, it's the flu. It's not that big a deal. We've had flu pandemics before. Well, they, We have a flu season every year.
2: I think this just emphasizes how interwoven the economies are and production is for any kind of product, whether it's HPC, airplanes, cars, whatever. And I think that people will begin to look at multiple sources because of this.
1: Yeah, I think it absolutely demonstrates the global nature of our current economy, that somebody gets sick, clearly across the world and it has a ripple effect on the entire economy, the global economy.
0: Well, bigger or smaller than the impact of the tidal waves in the heart of disk drive country.
1: That's right. There are major factories out there and production schedules have already been impacted.
0: Well, but production schedules have been impacted, but in the tidal wave, that actually took out the facilities. That's right. Some of them. And we're not losing any physical infrastructure here.
1: Well, you could argue this is softer because once you turn it on again, it'll be back on quickly, but the impact is negative. Yes. Now, in agreement with you, I don't think this will last so long. I think as terrible as the whole thing is, there seems to be no expenses spared in trying to contain it from all over the world. So I expect, I'm hopeful rather, that this will be contained quickly.
3: I wonder about the efficiency, if there is a vaccine created, of administering the vaccine within such a large population. That would be my only hesitancy, though it is hopeful that there is a low death count at this point, but due to like bureaucratic tendencies and a very, very large space to cover yes, administering vaccines.
2: Well, producing them. I mean, just the volume to get the number of vaccines, I think Jesse's right. That's a big deal. I mean, in general, anytime you have
1: a large number of things that need to go through the same process, you know you're never going to get 100% coverage.
2: No, that's true, but just the, the number... But you don't need
0: 100% coverage to stop an epidemic. That's true.
2: Herd immunity? Yeah, that's right. Well, the issue is supply chain, in my opinion, and this, I think, will get people thinking about multiple sources long-term.
1: But it's not so easy to have multiple sources on everything.
2: Oh, it's not, it's not going to happen overnight. But I think this is the conceptually the shot across the bow to have organizations thinking about uh, multiple sources.
1: One more, yeah. Mm. Okay, maybe that would make it a little bit
2: less single point of failure, right?
0: Correct. Well, maybe that's an argument then for diversification of supply chains.
2: I believe it is. I think this is just one example why that's important, whether it's climate issues or natural disasters or something as terrible as this.
3: In regards to HPC, how does the diversification of supply places butt up with the idea of competition though? In a more connected world where we're able to communicate with China and do all of these things from the United States as if it's, you know, no big deal at this point. If we add other places that are say not China, let's pick Norway or some other country to start up these other technological advances, suddenly we have this much more competitive field that we have to break into in order to bring about these different supply places.
2: By the way, all of
3: So it's it's changing a large amount of the economics, I would imagine.
2: Yeah, exactly. All of this is not gonna come without
3: cost. Oh,
2: absolutely.
0: No, and that's the problem is that the costs then get competed out and you go back to having the single big supplier. Yes,
3: that was the point I was trying to make. Thank you.
0: The, yes, because eventually you'll end up back at where we were because you got to have scale in order to hit price points in this business. That's
1: right. Along those lines, the other walkaway is just the growing intermingling of technology and geopolitics.
0: Yes, that's going to be a part of that too. Is this an excuse for people to move away from Asian suppliers?
2: Don't know. That's clearly a TBD. Or to have multiple Asian supply sources.
0: Yes. But that still wouldn't spare us against this particular calamity.
2: Not everybody is as widely affected, Dan. But this particular calamity, the only hope we have is that it just
1: subsides quickly. Yes. That's the only hope. If it's another month and it's still the way it is, I think that's going to be bad news. But already people are changing their plans for travel. They're changing their plans for production targets. And they're doing that with the understanding that maybe in another month or so it'll all be better. But if it isn't, I think they have to replan in a more serious way. And then undoing those replans is going to be hard.
0: Yes, that's a very good point. Well, you know, we're probably not going to be able to solve this problem here, but I know that I'm staying inside. So there, I'm not leaving the hub. That's different
3: how, Dan.
0: It's not a difference in my activity. It's just a justification for it. But let's ask the guy who always has a justification for why no one should ever be online, ever. Henry, what do you got?
2: got this, this one's pretty bad. Article in the register, it says... Only three per 100,000 cyber crimes are solved. And reading the article, it's pretty clear it's from the FBI. So the bottom line is you got a better chance of getting hit by a big ass asteroid. Was it 1917 or 1918 in Russia or the even smaller one? Then you got a chance of getting a cyber crime solved. It's not good. Just not good. Do they have a
1: threshold of the severity of problem that? No, we, it? you
2: know, obviously this is a clickbait article, but there were a couple people quoted talking about the number of cyber crimes, and this was stated at a, at a pretty prestigious conference. Mm-hmm. The bottom line is, even if it is exaggerated a little bit, what if it's three and fifty thousand? That's still not a good number. Think about that, guys, folks. <laughs>
1: I mean, cyber crimes are in the general category of societal bugs. So if you have like a society bugzilla that keeps track of these things, it's just like another bug. So it's like severity and urgency and other attributes that make a bug worthy of solving or kicking the can because nobody's experiencing it. So it would be nice to have a metric that says this kind of a cyber crime, you're on your own. It's like a pretty burglar in New York City are not going to get attention. And this other one is a sufficient you mean, calamity. You
2: mean, you mean they're not going to send a team with DNA testing and
1: multispectral cameras? Yeah, well, you know, not or if bird you're bird? a student living in yeah. Greenwich Village and somebody stole your skateboard. <laughs> but, you know, if the same thing happens in some government building yeah you're gonna they're gonna do it
2: it's all it's all a matter of severity
1: uh, yeah exactly severity and urgency and who would happen to and what the implications I are
2: but the point is it's not a good number three and a hundred thousand gene yeah it's not, it's not not good
1: yeah well it would be nice to have a debug society but I'm not holding my breath for that please don't
0: yeah good luck good luck so with that you hear that sound That's the sound of our catch of the week.
3: Who's got one? I have a catch of the week. Here we go. So the Pentagon uh, issued on the 30th this cyber framework for defense contractors. So what it requires is all of your defense contractors have to get a certification from a third party uh, and be trained on how to properly deal with defense contracts before they're allowed to touch them. And this is not affecting everybody. They're rolling it out slowly, not to take full effect until 2026. But it is interesting to read. We can put the link up. They divide different capabilities of cybersecurity into sections like access control, incident response, etc., and then different sub-levels, one through five. And you have to be ranked for a certain sub-level for different things in order to have certain contracts. So that is new. That
1: is
0: very new. That? Yes. Henry, anything in your net this week? Nothing. Boy.
2: I've been working on snow, Dan. Okay. snow here. Okay. Well, I got
1: two.
0: Okay. I'll I'll make up. Shaheen's got two. He'll make up for it.
1: So the first thing is a book that I don't know when it got published. I think it got published in 2019, so it's pretty recent. And it's called The History of the Fortran Programming Language. And surprisingly, I think it's going to sell in large quantity because the number of people who are interested in it is a lot larger than one might think. But we'll put the link up. You can go get it from eight books. They still have about seven copies in stock. And that looks great. And of course, that reminded me of the several quotes about Fortran programming language, starting from, I don't know what the programming language of the 90s or next century will be, but it will be called Fortran. There was another one, Fortran 90 would be a nice language. Too bad it's not Fortran. (laughs) There was another one about high-performance Fortran, that what we really need is a high-performance, high-performance Fortran, HPHPF. So those are funny quotes about Fortran that I could remember.
0: That's pretty funny. Hey,
1: well, That's the crowd we mingle in, right? <laughs> yeah. The other catch is AMD's continued growth and strength in the market. I keep hearing of new deals that are closing, focused on AMD and They've got the strength, and as long as they can produce, I think they're going to have a pretty good run with this advantage that they've got.
2: I sure hope they are successful, and don't whiff on the next one like they did on the Optoron. Yes. The Optoron had a good three- or four-year run, Gene, and then they kind of fell by the wayside. Yes, they did. And that's what I'm talking about.
0: Like Henry said, they were the first to 64 bits, and then they were the first to multiple core, and then it faded. They did fade after
1: Opteron. This time around, however, they seem to be executing well. It's a very opportune time, too, with all the emergence of AI and AI chips and the Cambrian
0: explosion there. Yes. Yes, exactly. Uh, The catch of the week that I have is about an article entitled, Leaked Documents Expose the Secretive Market for Your Web Browsing Data. And an Avast antivirus subsidiary selling, quote, every search, every click, every buy on every site. Avast was doing this as part of their free antivirus.
1: So your antivirus software was itself a spyware.
3: Ironies of ironies.
0: Yes. Go figure. But that just tells us that really nothing is safe, although they've apologized and said they're not going to do it
2: anymore.
0: I trust them. Oh, yeah.
2: oh <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Seen that before. That's deja vu all over again.
0: Definitely. Yes, exactly. That was big money for them. Now not going to be such big money for them, but there will probably be, I'm predicting, a small eh, four-point type opt-in somewhere in the agreements that we all skip past.
3: Hidden in the EULA.
0: No.
1: Yeah. Well, that's, that was the thing. The thing is that, does anybody really
0: care? Yes, that's, you're right. And I suspect that there are a lot of people that would rather have a free security suite as opposed to
3: having one that they have to pay
0: $30 a year for, for instance.
1: It's got a bit of a mobster feel to
3: it. It, it does. Pay your protection money. Yeah. Yeah. For literal protection.
0: <laughs> yeah. But again, it's just proving out the point that if you're not paying for a product, you are the product.
1: If you're not paying for the product, you are paying for the product.
0: Yes. Well, it actually, it kind of gets to my corollary to that. If you're not paying for a product, it's a virus. <laughs>
1: yes, right. And sometimes, even when you are paying for a product, it's a virus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can never be safe. <laughs> well, hence why you should stay offline, right, Henry? Exactly. I cycle straight back.
0: That's right.
3: No one should be online. Tell Welcome you. to our secular podcast. No one
0: should ever be online, ever. Ever. To be more
2: accurate. Well, I think this is a good
1: time for us to unveil the cassette tape program. For <laughs>
0: <laughs> Radio 3HPC. It'll be quite the sleep aid, yes. <laughs> so on that note, let's go ahead and call it an episode, because I think everybody's lost interest, including us. <laughs> Thank you all out there for listening. Keep those cards and letters coming in through podcast at RadioFreeHPC.com and give us a follow on at Radio Free HPC. Thank you very much for listening. Boom. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Radio Free HPC. And as a quick note, the views and opinions of Henry Newman are his and do not reflect any policy or position of Seagate Government Solutions or Seagate Technology. Thank you for listening.